0: Hello and thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. Welcome everyone. If you haven't already seen or... Uh, seen the message today or see what's up here. Um, we are going to be taking communion together today. Um, with that, we're going to talk about and kind of look at um, the Last Supper um, in the Bible and kind of see what was going on there during Passover. So we're you know, in the Easter season right now, um, and it's not just you know one time of year. It's not just one day a year that we celebrate and focus on the resurrection, but it should be 365 days, um, 365.25 days a year, right, Zach? Um, that we, that we celebrate that. So, before we get into that, anybody recall what we talked about last week? Letting
1: God take our chains, or letting God build our chains. Yeah. So we can break them.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. So, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about the Last Supper, the Passover dinner. Um, John doesn't, he more so focuses on just a set few of miracles throughout Jesus' time there. Matthew's and Mark's uh, records of the Passover dinner are almost word for word identical, so I'm not going to go through all three of them. Uh, We might kind of glance over a little bit, otherwise we're going to kind of just start with Luke. So Luke chapter 22, verse 7. I'm going to turn there, Luke 22, verse 7. Um, Just out of curiosity, has anyone ever gone to or been part of a Passover Seder? If not, that's completely fine and probably normal for most Christians. Um, More so, it's mostly celebrated by um, more so Jews, um, but a lot of Christians and Messianic Christians of still observe that on, on a on a yearly basis, um, but other, even non-denominal creations, um, still observe Passover. Um, so we'll we'll get into a little bit of that later, and, and we'll see why. Um, Luke chapter 22, we're going to start at verse 7, and we're going to go through 29. Does someone want to either read all of that, or half of it, and then popcorn to someone else? Just 29? 7 through 29. Luke chapter 22,
1: verse 7 through 29.
0: I can read it. Go for it. I'm
1: not it
0: 30. Sorry, 30. Okay. I, I didn't see the last number there.
1: <laughs> I got <it.
0: laughs>
1: The last supper. My version is NLT. Also, just a heads up for anybody. Um, now, the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? they asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on the throne, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel.
0: Cool. Thank you. Before we dig into it, what do you guys observe going on here? Either just observations, comments, what's going on? Or does anything stick out to you? I'm not looking for any particular answer.
2: There's so many interesting things here. I always thought it was interesting that Jesus goes out of his way to say, I will not eat this meal and I will not drink any wine until... Until we're doing this later, uh, all together again. <clears throat> it's just really interesting to me. Yeah. It's, it's just very interesting to me the
1: way
0: that, that works. Yeah. Well, it's not, I don't think he said, I'm not going to eat this or drink it. He said, like, again, until the kingdom of God has come. Right, that's
3: what
0: I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What else?
2: How quickly the disciples go from hearing Jesus talking about this being his last meal to them, then arguing about who would betray him, and then who among them would be greatest?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a quick change of events. Mm-hmm.
2: I
1: think his forward thinking, or, like, he says, go into, where wherever it is, go into town. Mm-hmm. And you'll find this that and the other and that's where we're gonna eat the meal and it happened exactly as he said so he obviously there is plan and intention put into place ahead of time for this to come to pass in the way that he exactly stated that it would Mm -hmm. so he is nothing if not intentional with every detail
0: yeah and there was stuff going on before that, to where, you know, that person, you know, God must have talked to them and been like, "Hey, you know, when these people come to you, be ready. Like, have your house ready. Be ready to to host a, you know, handful of people tonight." Um, with that, um, in verse verse ten. Right. One second. Wait a minute. Yeah, the, um, where he's looking for, where uh, Jesus says, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. So they're looking for that one specific person, one man who's carrying a pitcher. Now, it wasn't just a bunch of men carrying pitchers all over the place. Um, it was actually an unusual sight, because the carrying of a pitcher was typically a woman's job at the time. The woman would be carrying pitchers around. The men, if they were to be carrying liquid, it would be in an animal skin, in like an animal skin um, type of container. So it was pretty distinctive to the disciples to see, All right, there's a guy carrying animal skin, a guy carrying animal skin, a woman carrying a pitcher, woman carrying a pitcher. Whoa, what's that? A guy carrying a pitcher? That's the one. That's the one Jesus told us to look for. Hey you, um, so I hear you got a place available tonight huh? for, uh, for a Passover dinner for uh, I'd say about 13 or so people. Yeah, actually I've been waiting for you to come find me because I was told to, that you'd be coming. So I've got a place ready. And yeah, you know, wouldn't that just be so cool if God just, you know, you're like, I gotta, you know, like, what job should I take next? Or where should I go to school? Or what should I do for this? And God's like, look for that person in the blue shirt and the red hat and the, you know, green shoes. And you'll know that that's the one that you should go, you know, ask for a job for. Like, that'd be pretty cool if it was that precise. And a lot of, in a lot of ways... God still has that, you know, he's still the same God. He's not, he hasn't ever changed and he never will. He's, he's never going to be like, yeah, hey, uh, back then I would, I would give people a specific instruction. Today, you just kind of got to figure it out, you know, look through the puzzle of the Bible and figure it out. It's like, no, as long as you're, you're familiar with God's word, then you can hear his voice and be able to tell his voice of something else versus his voice. Anyway, you not know, want a tangent there, but. All right. What else? What else do you guys see going on here?
4: Um, oh. No, go ahead here. Um, I like um, the end the idea that um, Jesus is sitting with everyone because I feel like it reiterates the idea that like God is not just some, some like like he's hot his throne but like he's still so close and he's always here and like um, not that we should ever be on like the same playing field as Jesus or God, but like I like the idea that like they're sitting together.
0: And, like, he's always, like, right next to us. Yeah. do you got,
2: Gary? So, I don't really know particularly why it's more of a question, but I thought it was interesting that even Jesus even brought up the idea that someone would betray him. Because clearly he already knew. That didn't, I guess, in my eyes, I don't directly see a reason why that was even told. Because that wouldn't even directly inf- affect the story. Whether or not the disciples knew one of them would betray, because either way, um, Judas would have betrayed Jesus. But I just think it's interesting that he says, "But behold, the hand," or he talks about someone betraying him, and he said that truly the Son of Man will s- still go, he will, and it's already been determined that I'll still go and be there. But woe to the to the man who has who he has betrayed. And I think I don't. Maybe it's to say like. There will be men that will betray Jesus or put down his name or something. But I don't know, I just think it's interesting that he even brought it up. Because mm-hmm. like, he knew it would probably start something with the disciples because throughout the whole three years he's been with them, every t- every chance they get to try to see who's the greatest disciple or the better disciple or say, well, Jesus, I'm your ride and die, or I'll be with you forever. Or he always, I don't know, I'm just wondering why he put that in there. Why, he just, mm-hmm. why did he actually tell them that one of you will betray me?
0: Yeah, it's a good thought.
3: It's interesting, there's actually two cups mentioned. Uh, Communion these days, uh, it's always just one. Uh, So we kind of lose the fact that there were two. Um, And while there were two that made reference here, I'm pretty sure there were actually three in the traditional Seder meal, if I'm not mistaken. It's four, um, is it, it four? depends
2: on which I got
3: use, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it's but it's more than one and two, <laughs> and so that, it's just an interesting mm-hmm. note. Um, but it's also interesting that, that everything Jesus did here broke tradition. Um, you know, there, there was a very traditional script. This is how it's done. This is how it's always done, and all of that was broken. That so that's what was one piece that made it significant.
0: Yeah. Point. Yeah. So during this Passover meal. Um, if anyone has ever been to a Passover Seder before, there will be all these little elements on a plate kind of all representing something, all from um, remembering the Israelites' oppression while they were slaves in Egypt. So there's all these different pieces. Um, you've got the, the bitter herbs to you know, represent their, their suffering, their, the bitterness of slavery. You've got the salt water to represent the tears um, all, all these different things that, that represent their suffering and slavery while they were in Egypt. So Jesus is here to, to take this time, um, and there would also traditionally be the lamb. The lamb, the same lamb that was sacrificed, the perfect lamb without any blemish, that you sacrifice and put the X over your doorframe so the angel of death will pass over their house. That same lamb would then be cooked, so that's it's not just going to waste. God does not like just sacrifice the lamb and that's it. Using its blood, and it's also feeding them as well. So the that same lamb would be cooked for the Passover meal as well. Now, none of the gospels represent um, mention a lamb during the Passover meal. It could be because they couldn't get one. At the same time, you know, Jesus was able to have the house provided, so I don't think that's the case, in my opinion. It could be that Jesus wanted it this way, that there was no physical lamb on the table there, because it's emphasizing the idea that he was the Passover sacrifice, that Jesus is the blemishless, blemishless, not sure if that's a word, the lamb without blemish, the perfect lamb, that it's to be sacrificed, his blood shed, and put over us so that death will pass over us and that with that same lamb that would then be that you would eat for supper he's then saying take this this is my body take this this is my blood
3: it's also possible that all of the elements traditionally there were there and they just don't make mention because it, again it wasn't significant mm-hmm. it wasn't different and so why would they write something down that was just the same as it always was mm-hmm. right so Absolutely. It's possible that it
1: wasn't. detail yeah. that I like, um, it says, then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God. He took some bread and gave thanks to God. Like, Jesus never missed out on an opportunity to acknowledge who his father was mm-hmm. and say thank you. And, you know, again signifying that relationship between father and son god and jesus and then everything in john that talks about what that means for us with jesus and us with god and i just think it's really cool like jesus the son of god is giving thanks to his father how much more like can i thank him for everything in my life thank him for jesus thank him for all those sacrifices like jesus got to a place of humility to acknowledge his father in everything like how much more is that for me to be humble enough to say god thank you for waking me up this morning you know all of those things all of those details like that thankfulness was a part of who he was and it can and should be a part of my daily acknowledgement too
0: yeah that's good and you, you mentioned that about him specifically taking the time to stop and give thanks and, and offer and, you know, give thanks to God for the bread, for, the, for what's there in front of him. It reminds me of when he feeds the thousands, you know, he feeds 3,000, 5,000, two different occasions from just a few loaves of bread. One of those occurrences was in John 6, um, where he fed, you know, over 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men, but it's also then all their families, too. And in that same same spot, John 6, 11, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And did the same thing with the fish. Gave thanks to God for what they had, and God multiplied it, and, and it fed thousands with leftover more left over after feeding thousands than there originally was. And I don't know if it specifically mentions it. I don't see it here. Maybe in other... Areas where he gave thanks or offered up the food as, as you know, thanksgiving, I'm not sure. Um, or maybe it's just how I imagine him doing it, taking it and kind of lifting it up. Thank you, God, for this food. Um, if anyone recalls him physically lifting it up, let me know. Otherwise, that's just how I imagine it. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Kind of lifting it up in an in offering and, and thankful and gratitude. Thank you, God. And in the same way, as like Jesus was lifted up on the cross as the offering. For us so we go from he's he's talking about you know he's giving thanks and then he talked about being betrayed and we'll get back into that in just a second about being betrayed but then they start arguing amongst themselves who will be the greatest Here Jesus was and it was at the same meal, as at the beginning of this meal, not mentioned in, in Luke's count, but in Matthew and Mark it talks about Jesus washing their feet, and that was them all coming to the Passover meal. They're coming, you know, they're they they do not even have to bring any food, they're coming for the meal. And Jesus, as they're entering, he washes their feet. He's Jesus is the greatest of them all, and he's becoming the servant to them. And that's what he's saying here.
4: Yeah, I like, I was going to comment on that. I really like that he points out the relationship of who's greater. You know, the server or the one being served. And that it's going to be different between them. Yeah. I like that he, like, emphasizes, I'm going to be gone and you have to be the representation for me. You
0: know, and what I represent. Yeah, and, and it's not just something he just says; he practices what he preaches, and he's yeah. he's said it before. In, um you know, in a parable of, hey, like if you're going to enter someone's house, go to the lowest point of the table, go to like the least respectful area, go go to like the edge of the table, to where you might not even be able to be part of the conversation, because then the the host might say, hey. You belong at a place of honor, let me bring you up. But if you go to like the seat of honor, then I'd be like, Hey, I've got someone a little more honorable coming. Can you actually scoot down a few chairs? Like, that'd be a little humiliating, but it'd be better to be humble yourself and be exalted than to exalt yourself and be humbled. And so he's talked about it before. He's demonstrating that by his whole life of, of serving people and and eating with tax collectors and, and prostitutes and filthy people and people who are working hard instead of with the kings and queens and, and all these, you know, people of rich, like, stature. And here he is, about to be, you know, we've been asked the question a lot, like, what would you do if you had one day to live? And we're like, oh, like, go skydiving and, like, visit the world as much as I can the next 24 hours and bungee jump and do this and do that. And, like, those are all great things. If you were ask Jesus what he would do on his last 24 hours, he would wash people's feet. He would break bread with those who he was close to. And then he'd offer himself up to save everyone. That's pretty humbling to think like, wow, what would I actually do if I knew that I had one day left to live? Alright, one other thing I want to point out here. Verse 20 that we just read. Can someone read verse 20 here? Go for it. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Awesome. And then could someone turn to Exodus 24, verse 8? Exodus 24, verse 8. Who wants it?
3: Moses took the blood, sprinkled it
2: on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words.
0: Awesome. So this is when Moses, when God is giving a covenant, the Ten Commandments, to Moses. It was around that time right there. And he's confirming it in in blood. So the Old Covenant, the original covenant... God's law was confirmed in blood. And now we have his new covenant in verse 20 here. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. And it's just a cool correlation to see the old covenant has been fulfilled. And now we're entering into a new covenant, a promise. The old promise has been fulfilled. Now there's a new promise that I am here with you. And it's confirmed in his own blood. We see, uh, uh, there's there's a quote here I have by Charles Spurgeon, speaking of this part here. King of kings is a title full of majesty, but servant of servants is the name which our Lord Lord preferred when he was here below. And it just shows that he is the king of kings. And if Jesus were in a room with the, the king of Egypt and the, the leaders and princes of, of all the nations of the world, Jesus would be the king of all those kings. And he could be the only one in all Past, present, and future time to come down and and be like, hey, I'm the greatest. Bow down to me. But he never said that. Instead, he was a servant to the servants. He took the lowest possible position when he was the only one with the authority to be in the highest possible position. Any other thoughts, any comments, questions going on from what we read here in chapter 22?
2: I thought it was cool that when they were talking about the argument of the greatness, that Jesus tells them in verse 29, And I appointed unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed it unto me. That he's saying that he is appointing us or his disciples a kingdom from assuming is this kingdom it is to like s- serve him and to spread his name. And then in John chapter 20, verse 20, uh, verse 21 is peace be peace be unto you as my father has sent me, even so I send or send I you. So again, he's telling why he's sending us. I think it's just talking about purpose. To worry so much about the greatest. I like, don't argue about who's greater and greater and greater. He's like, Cause who's greater, the the one that is?" Because uh, this one that uses weird words in the King James version, I liked uh, Jackie's version a lot more reading it. Cause I was like, "Because this one it says, for whether is for whether is greater, he that he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat.'" but I am among you as he that serveth. And I don't know what meat means, but I like Jackie's a lot more than me. A lot. So I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to, like, come up with things. I'm like, that how so much better.
0: James. Didn't you recently get a newer Bible? I did, and I left it out of my car. I don't, I, okay. I don't know why I left it out. I, I, was, like, I was about to say, we, we should get you one that's more well, understandable, I but I like this one for
2: studying, because then I'll just look up what that means. Okay. It forces me to look up a word. It forces me to look up the verse. Like, what does this verse even mean? And I was like, oh, okay. Like, okay. Well, cause it, I don't
0: know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good. So.
2: But I think he was really talking about the purpose. Like your purpose isn't to worry about who's greater or not. It's whoever's, whoever's serving, that's the one that's going to be great. Like when you were saying, even Jesus came as a servant to the servants. Those of you that look like he was. What was it? Uh, oh. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greater, greatest among you. Let him be the younger, and he that is chief as he that doeth serve. So the chief will be the one that serves, and the one that is greatest among you would be the one that is younger.
0: So I want to talk about the elephant in the room now. Verses 21 to 23. Judas. let's talk about Judas. Could someone read twenty one to twenty three again? No, that's right. You you can can talk in normal volume.
4: (laughs) But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is a man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing. Cool.
0: I just want to double check something, see if, I can't remember how Matthew puts it, Matthew 26, yeah, uh, Matthew and Mark's account is slightly different, I'm going to read it here from uh, Matthew 26 verse... twenty. Matthew twenty six, verse twenty. I'm going to read that here. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve disciples. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one of them in turn, asked, Am I the one Lord? He replied, One of you who has just eaten from this bowl, from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declare long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would have been far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. And then as they were eating, then Jesus took the bread and blessed it, broken in pieces, gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for that is my body. So slightly different, but same concept going on there. But, as, I'm, as I was looking through this this week, this part really stuck out to me about Judas here in a way it, it never had. And it made me start thinking, how many of us have had a meal with someone that we just absolutely hate? Okay. Maybe, yeah. Have you ever had a meal with someone where you knew that they were about to do something terrible with you, to you? No. So a few have had people. A few of us have had meals with people that we don't particularly like. Well, we see, n- that's
1: different for yeah, okay. Okay. You hate. hate. You all right. All right. Yes, I reworded it
0: differently. Some of us have had meals with people that we hate. But none of us have ever had a meal with someone that we knew would do something terrible to us, would betray us. Mm -hmm. And yet Jesus did. None of us have ever laid down our life for someone. I'm going to say that assuming that none of us have died and been resurrected again. (laughs) But none of us have ever physically given up our life here on earth as Jesus did. And in the way that Jesus did, he did it for people who would still reject him. And not just reject him, but betray him. And I'm just thinking about this whole journey of Judas following Jesus. Jesus only called 12 people. And all the time there, he only called 12 people to physically come follow him and walk with him and learn with him. 12 disciples he took on with a personal invitation. Some fishermen, um, some farmers a zealot, a revolutionarist, all sorts of different people. And he asked Judas, because he's fully God and fully man, but he's, he's fully God and aware of what's to come. Jesus invited the person who he knew would turn him in for a few silver coins and lead him to his own death. And yet he still said, Judas, come follow me. And it just makes me think of the overwhelming love that Jesus has for all of us. What was, what was the name of the, that book?
1: Furious Longing of God.
0: Furious Longing of God. Just, just that title alone makes me think of the Furious Longing of God. He loved and loves Judas even though he knew what he would do. And I don't think I'm any better. And I don't think any of us are really much better than Judas in the way of. You know, maybe we weren't the ones to to give in Jesus, but we look at all these people saying, "Oh, I would never do it." No, 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 it's not me, Jesus. But they all they all asked. They all in turn said, "Is it me?" And Jesus is like, "One of you sitting here is going to betray me." And they're all like, "Is it me? Is it me? Is it me?" Is it? Me? They're all acknowledging that they have the capability of betraying him, and and wondering, Jesus, am I going to betray you? And some of them, you know, we think of people like um, Peter, who was like, just a few verses later after what we read here, will say, Jesus, I will never betray you. And then we see a few minutes after that that he's like. Jesus like, dude, like before the sun even rises and the Easter crows, like rooster crows, what? Um, You'll betray me three times. (laughs) And so we think of all these people who betrayed Jesus because then you look at the cross. You know, you turn a few more pages and look at all the 12 disciples who were there. There's one. So they all ran away. And when Jesus was actually turned in, they all fled, every single one of them. That's, that's just later in that same chapter, verse 22. This, this is a whole lot leading up to the crucifixion. When, when Jesus was betrayed and the Roman soldiers came, they all fled. None of them stayed around. Even the ones who were all like, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't betray you. I'll, I'll be with you to the end. And then trouble comes and they all flee. So in this warning of Jesus, we see a profound love for Judas This was his last fleeting opportunity to turn back from his evil plot, Judas. This was Judas' last opportunity to turn back from his evil plot. A A remarkable thing to remember is that Jesus loved Judas as much as he loved his other disciples. We almost want to think that he hated Judas and loved the other disciples more, but that's not the case. If we miss his love toward Judas, then we miss the whole story. We miss the whole reason why Jesus was here. Jesus' love for us isn't a response to our love for him. Jesus doesn't love us if we love him first, but the contrary. We love because he first loved us, 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. The only reason we can love either him or other people is because he has first loved us. I think it's just so key. I'm gonna read that one part again. That we miss, if we miss His love toward Judas, then we miss the whole story. To think, Ah, Jesus must have hated him after that. Nope. In the same way, Jesus doesn't hate us after we turn our backs from Him, after we've forgotten about Him, after we get busy, after we get, you know, distracted or we start going down that wrong path. He still loves us. But just think about every meal that Judas and Jesus shared together, every conversation that they had, every road that they walked down together, side by side. Jesus knew that Judas would eventually hand him over to be executed. And despite knowing that, Jesus loved him and treated Judas the same as he did all his other disciples.
1: mouth of a four-year-old girl on sunday said kind of the same thing you just did in sunday school it was really cool um and she we were just sitting at the table and she was coloring and she was like jesus loves people even everybody even when they do bad things he's he doesn't stop loving them from doing bad things or like because they did something bad but they, he still loves them. And I was just like, this is why I'm here. This is why hmm. I teach Sunday school. Because they, she's four years old. Yeah, she gets it. And she gets it. She gets the bait, like the most, the heart of the story, just like you said. She gets it. And I learned so much just from being in the room with these hmm. tiny humans. And it's adorable and I love it. But to hear it come back, you know, for me, I'm like, that is the whole point of the story. Judas still ate. He still ate, he still drank from the cup. He The body, Jesus' body was still broken for Judas. And Judas's feet still got washed. Mm. Jesus still washed Judas' feet, right? Judas was as much of a part of that Passover meal as John, as any of the other disciples. Like, It just makes humbles me, and like, who is the Judas in my life that I don't want sitting at my table, Mm. right? Who are who are the Judases that I reject? Where Jesus would be like, "Um, "That's not my way. My way is the way of love. Like, you are meant to love." Um, It's just yeah. Mm. So that's good. Had a minute. That that's
0: really good. (laughs)
2: Is Judas more of, like, an example of, like I said, I've never read the full entirety of the Bible, so I don't know all the stories of all the disciples, but did Judas go to hell? Like, I mean, I know Jesus loved him still and still sacrificed for him. I mean, he sacrifices for everyone on earth, but not everyone on earth will go to heaven. Is Judas more of an example of, even though some people on this earth might not go to heaven, we should still treat them as such as Jesus did as? Jesus broke his body for him, spilled his blood for him, washed his feet, and still loved him. Or did Judas? Judas go to heaven, I don't know. Um,
0: I don't. I've never. I don't this. think any of us could say for sure. It's not
2: stated
0: anymore. I don't, I don't know if anyone's salvation is is really stated. You know, maybe some people like Elijah who we saw descend into heaven. <laughs> heaven. Um, <laughs> that might be like the most like guaranteed, but. Um,
2: well, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah where yeah, Jesus. That, yeah,
0: there there are some people where we could say I mean, with the with heaven. a pretty good you know benefit with the, with the doubt of saying like you know the, those people are in heaven. We'll we'll celebrate with these people and like and in heaven one day.
2: Yeah, whether or not Jesus like Judas went to heaven or hell, that's not really. Not saying like that's not a detail in life of God. I don't. I feel weird saying that. Always times like people ask me questions of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I feel weird sometimes I'm saying well that's kind of like a secondary. So I, I, the I, could, is, is the word I could see so it either way. I think it's technically a secondary problem, but because it's more so sort of trying to preach the gospel of salvation and mm-hmm. how do you get, or not how do you get there, but what is the message of the gospel. But is it not really too important to really focus on whether or not Judas went to heaven or hell? And is it more important just to focus on how Jesus treated someone that he already knew would betray him? That one. Okay. Yeah,
4: because I think if you think about it like in your real life, like, Of people I meet, especially I'm sure all of us as young adults meet, that they're like, that don't even believe in God or Jesus or anything. They are not even, they're so, so far away from that. And you can say in that moment, oh, they're not going to heaven. But that was me three years ago. Mm -hmm. And here I am sitting in Bible study. And hopefully at some point we'll join with God again. But like, at one moment of, of one life, like, Obviously, we know Jesus portrayed them, but like you have your entire mm-hmm. life, and like that's basically just to say, like I might not know that my coworker that I'm really upset with right now is if she's gonna go to heaven or hell, but either way, I'm still gonna love her because mm-hmm. that's the way that Jesus would would treat
0: her. Yeah, that's good, and we look at parables that Jesus told of like the the prodigal son, where you know the one turned away from his father in the same way that Jesus turned away from. G- from Jesus mm. the pr- uh, prodigal son eventually came back turned back um, we don't know you know Judas hung himself and and died and he hung himself on a tree over over the hill and a limb snapped so he hung himself and then fell to his death in the hill so we don't know if right before then we, we don't know we don't even make assumptions so we, we don't know and that's I would say that's not the focus of the story but just like as you put it, how Jesus chose to love people even when they chose not to love them back and straight up betray him. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to
2: bring us further down this rabbit hole, That's but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to, but I will. <laughs> um, I, I mean, another consideration for that question would be, would of would it Judas's salvation have been determined by the old covenant or the new covenant because he died before Jesus
4: was resurrected. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) Well, in the
0: same way, same with the thief on the cross. Jesus didn't quite die yet when he told the thief that he'll join him in heaven that day. And I'd say everything boils down down to a heart issue because that means for all the millions of people who lived before Jesus died on the cross... People could sacrifice a lamb and not go to heaven, even though that,
2: yeah.
0: that you know, was the sacrifice. That was their atoning sin and made them right with God. But if your heart isn't right in the same way that you could have two people standing next to each other and they both say the, pray the same prayer of salvation, one just says it as words and one says it from their heart and actually means it and believes it, one will go to heaven because they actually believe it the other may not because they're just saying words. So I would say in the same way that we can look at all the people in the Old Testament and be like, well, how did people go to heaven before Jesus? if Jesus is the only way, but it's all a heart issue. It's all a matter of what's in the heart of, are you truly accepting what God did as, are you truly believing that your sacrifice has made you right with God and that you actually want to repent and, and do his will? Or are you... Just doing it because you have to do it. Because that's what you're supposed to do.
4: That goes back to our conversation a couple weeks ago. of Like, you can be circumcised and follow these rules, mm-hmm. but that's not going to... That doesn't mean that you don't
0: have to... Perfect. Fifteen bend points for bringing that back. I'm at like 30 now. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping track? Yeah, All right. of course. I better look out. <laughs> Alright, so we are going to partake in what Jesus and his disciples partook partook him so our fellow Zach has made this beautiful holly bread. look at this look at that and it smells fantastic um, so we're going to partake in the elements um, we've got some wine we got some grape juice um, now they took You know, it was the festival of unleavened bread. This is leavened. You can see it's thick. It's got yeast in it. It has risen much like. It has risen. (laughs) Um, So during during what Jesus was doing, and during Passover, and even still during traditional Passover meals, you would be taking like that thin matza bread um, that you would traditionally see in church for communion. um, Before COVID, now it's a little plastic cracker. That has that has no that taste. Blast? It's cardboard. It's like <laughs> cardboard, basically. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so the matzo bread, the way it was made, it it looks like it has like you know a bunch of little holes and like little, like kind of burnt looking stripes in them, representing the holes, the the nail the nail pierced hands or wrists of Jesus, and the and this all the stripes, all the um, the whipping that jesus received um this bread was not would not be anything like what they would actually have but like this just has a lot more substance to it and um more delicious too so that's what we're gonna do um so we will pass around the bread um yeah take a nap and pass it around um this this goes against my uh, my two rules that I keep for Monday night of no alcohol because I keep Mondays dry and no food down here especially red wine um, so help help don't help don't spill any wine so that uh, this isn't the last Passover <laughs> that we have together <laughs> or grape juice or grape juice cool so uh, we'll we'll do as as Jesus did and and we'll follow him here so he took you know he took the cup first and. He, had multiple cups, but um, in the final, he, he took the bread and he gave thanks to God for this. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the bread of life, that you fill us up and that you um, give us substance and that you continue to give us all that we need. Um, yeah, we thank you for who you are and we take this bread as, as your body and we partake with your death on the cross, and we join you in the resurrection as well because we know that one day we'll die here on earth, but we will join you again in heaven in our resurrected body. We thank you for all that you are. We thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for loving us even when we turn around and we betray you and we don't do your will. We thank you, God, for who you are. Bless this day. Bless this bread as your body. Amen. 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 So, take off a nice... Hearty piece of bread. Don't be shy to take a nice big piece because Jesus doesn't say, Come take a little bite out of me, he says come taste and see. So come grab a nice piece of, of his body. And this this would be this would be a meal. This would be a whole meal that they would be having together. Um, there'd be all, all the little um, elements of <laughs> all 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 the elements that had special representation of stuff. Um, and um, Yeah. So you can you can start you can you can go ahead and take the bread. We'll do the same as Jesus did, and we'll give thanks to God. God, we thank you for your blood. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that was freely poured out to us so that we can have life after death here. Thank you for the grace and the love that is just so unfathomable of loving someone who betrays you. God, help us to about our lives with that mindset of unconditional love love that knows no boundary and that reaches beyond what even makes sense of loving someone who doesn't love you back thank you God for your sacrifice to us amen mm-hmm. so that's it for today um, but you, Ben. But um, we, can, we can still split. We can have a little bit more time to take the elements. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time and God's presence is with us. I hope you've enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.